From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. In each episode of this podcast, we talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, Tammy Katzoff spoke with Amanda Dell, class of 2003, program director for the Jewish Food Society and host of the Schmaltzy podcast. As we do with most of these interviews, we began the conversation by asking how and when Amanda became interested in her occupation. I think I've been interested in this type of work from day one. I've always loved food. I've loved cooking. I've loved hospitality. I love bringing people together around the table. So in my current work, I get to bring all of those elements together. And I've been working as the program director for Jewish Food Society for about three and a half years. And, you know, really what I love about it is that it combines so many of my interests, research, community, family, all of those. So I feel very fortunate and lucky to be in the position that I am. So I know that you majored in communications and English at birth. Yes. So yes. nice combination for what you're doing. Um, did you did you have certain goals at that time, and have they have they changed? That's a really interesting question to think about. So actually, one that I think about often as I'm you know thinking about the next steps in my life, how I approached my education at Muhlenberg was kind of based on the really the advice of my dad, who said listen, you don't know what you want to do, but if you're a great communicator, if you have good writing skills, if you have good speaking skills, you can really apply that to any field. So that's where I kind of landed. (laughs) We lived on this, at this house off campus, um, our last two years of school. And I just remember, like, I don't know why all of my like long, all of my classes that had a lot of writing all were happening, like, I think my last semester or two. And I just remember like taking my old, like compact Corsario laptop, which I thought was very fancy, but it still had to be plugged in, dragging the cord to like our porch. I think I had like a Victorian literature class or something like, I just remember writing for like days and days and days on end. But yeah, that that was kind of how I thought about what classes I was going to take and what I was going to major in. And I didn't really understand that direction or that advice from my dad, but I do understand it now. I like that. That's, I mean, as a career counselor at the Career Center, that's definitely one of the things that we try to impart to students, these transferable skills that you can take from your major or majors or certain type of jobs and take them all over the place. You are program director at the Jewish Food Society. So this is going to be a two-part question. First of all, can you tell us more about the Jewish Food Society, but also what is Jewish food? Jewish Food Society is a nonprofit organization. We're based in New York City, and our mission is to preserve, celebrate, and revitalize Jewish culinary heritage from all around the world. And the core of our work is a recipe archive that is based on family recipes and stories. And we have going towards almost a thousand recipes from places as far apart as India, Sweden, North Africa, 
New York City, all of those places. And we really concentrate on showing the diversity of Jewish food. So each archive entry is comprised of a narrative essay that we write about each person's family, their history, and how it relates to the recipes that they're sharing. We then recipe test the recipes that this family has brought to us in order to make them as successful as possible for home cooks. And then we create all of our own visual content, meaning we take inspiration from the recipes and the families and how they would serve these foods, but we create our own photography. So we shoot and style all of the visual content. So the incredible part of my job is that I get to bring that archive to life by doing dynamic programming. You know, in the before times, that was a lot of programs where we would gather in person. It could be a holiday dinner in, you know, in collaboration with the James Beard Foundation. It could be a cooking class. It could be a panel, you know, an educational panel. And then our signature event was called, is called Schmaltzy. And it's a live storytelling and tasting event. So basically we would gather five leaders in our community and work really intensely to create a meaningful story about a food, but really about bigger themes. And then after we would hear the stories, we would do a walk around tasting of the foods. So um, it was really fun. And so during the past you know year and a half, I was figuring out what I could do to essentially share these stories with more people. And we were sitting on what I call audio gold. And, you know, that's where we came up with the idea to turn those stories into a podcast. So in the podcast, Schmaltzy, we go back to those live stories, we replay them, and then I sit down with the storytellers to interview them, you know, with the stories as a starting off point, but really, our interviews are about themes that are universal, love, loss, identity, family. So that's a little bit about Jewish Food Society and, and what we do. To answer your second question, I will never attempt to answer that, but I can only share my own experience, which is, you know, as someone who grew up in a very secular, not religious, but culturally Jewish family in New York, <laughs> where, where many of my, my friends fell into that and community fell into that same category. It was extremely eye-opening for me to think about Jewish food outside of what people consider, you know, about outside of New York Ashkenazi food, Mm -hmm. which is what many people think of as Jewish food, like bagels or, um, you know, kugel, which is all great and which is all, you know, what we have on the archive. But when I started learning about the different communities around the world, I, I, it was, the eye-opening is the only way I can describe it. And it really made me, you know, realize and think about the fact that Jews have lived all over the world. And a lot of the cuisines in these different regions are a combination of basically kosher, kosher rules and holiday celebrations, and then also combined with the regions that they lived in. So that's where a lot of the cuisine of, of the of the diaspora, you know, I think intersects or, or comes from in these communities. Do you have a typical work day? And if you do, what does that look like? My work day is typical in a few in a few places, but it's not definitely not always the same. 
We are very fortunate to have a beautiful office in Union Square, a loft that we share with a few other companies. And now that more people are vaccinated in the city, we've returned to the office. And so I usually am there most days. And it's a space that I find a lot of inspiration. And I, I like the separation of going to a workplace. And I find that I'm able to concentrate best there. So most days you'll find me there with a mandatory stop off at the green market in Union Square. I would say that every day that the green market is there, which is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Saturday, but during the week, there's especially at this time of year, there's hardly a day that the green market is there that goes by that I don't get something there. So the green market is always usually part of my day and we've collaborated with them many times. And I would, it's really a privilege to have that be part of my day. Within my day, there could be a lot of variations. Sometimes we're preparing for an event, which could mean me securing different types of products or working with a chef to collaborate on that. We just did our first public event after you know the pandemic not after and the pandemic is still going on after we return to to public events uh this past weekend that could mean so many things prepping for an event it could mean doing a recipe tasting with our culinary team it could be doing a lot of zoom calls um <laughs> preparing for the year for the year ahead it's a lot of it is working with our editor on our content so providing feedback to her editing some of the essays that we put on our archive so many 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 different things which i'm grateful for having a variety you know then hopefully seeing my friends after work or going to an event which i'm so happy that we are returning to i went to an incredible event for a book that I'm still not quite finished yet, but I'm reading it. It's called Crying in H Mart. I don't know if you read it, Michelle's <laughs> honor. As part of Food Book Fair, we used to do this event called Tables of Content with a chef at his restaurant. And then Food Book Fair is like in a little bit of a siesta phase right now, but the chef, Evan Hansor, kind of kept going with this book series, Tables of Contents. So uh, a couple of days ago was like the first in-person one I think that he had done in a long time and so Michelle yeah read from her book and then these three chefs made a meal inspired by the book and we did and they did a Q&A it was really beautiful how has your job and your industry been affected by the pandemic we have been affected in more ways than I ever would have thought I remember kind of going back to that early time in, in March and maybe this is like the typical like bravada of the New Yorker, but I was like, this is New York. Like nothing will ever shut us down. I didn't actually consider the reality that we were, you know, unfortunately about to be faced with. A lot of my job is about creating live programming and engaging our community in real life programs. That's part of what we do because I want to do is I want to bring the archive to life. So I want to take these stories and recipes that are on the page and I want to bring them out to people and gather our community in person. So there was two things that changed majorly about three things really that about my work and I'm happy to also talk about the industry, but 
we have moved all of the programming that we were doing online and and also created new programs and that was incredibly exciting in a, in a lot of ways that I hadn't considered because we really when we offered a program and we had people tuning in from South Africa from London from you know other parts of of Europe from really around the world that was just so exciting in the very beginning when we started to do online programs i would always say everyone drop in the chat like where are you tuning in from you know and so that while we've presented most of our programs in real life are presented in new york we've also done them in san francisco we've done them in tel aviv but to see people come together from all around the world was really exhilarating the other thing that we did was you know we feel at jewish food society that really these rest, restaurants and, and cafes in New York are, are really the DNA, you know, of, of the Jewish people, places and, and New Yorkers and beyond, places like Russ and Daughters. And so we felt at, that we needed to figure out a way to support them and also to, to support the community, the larger community. So we actually created a meal program where we hired restaurants to make meals for hospitals and other frontline workers and through really the generosity of foundations that we work with and individual support we delivered over 75,000 meals so we engaged the restaurants in our community that we tried to engage as many of them as possible but again we really felt like there's such a fabric of our community and many of these businesses are generational and have have been around for a long time and and we felt that it you know as part of our mission we wanted to to help see them continue for as long as we could so that was you know something that we had never really thought about doing but we felt as if we needed to to rise to that occasion and then we also created this online initiative called tradish where we just put out a call to action to our community to send us recipes that really brought them comfort in this a really unsettling time. Um, and we shared that online on our archive and in, on Instagram. It was very personal for me because in terms of the restaurant and food community, because I had worked in hospitality previously and many of my friends still work in restaurants or in restaurant adjacent jobs. And I think for people, you know, to understand how I guess what I want people to understand is is how much these restaurants and you know what I call third places were a fabric you know of our lives in the city and how also just delicate this web of businesses and the businesses that then they support are and you know you have people that supply your linens, you have people that do flowers at restaurants, you have farms, you have wine distributors, you have all of these things that are kind of funneling into this really powerful industry. Mm. And then, you know, the pandemic just like pulled that thread. And in the sense of being the true optimist that I am, I do think it will take us a long time to get there. And I do think I'm upset about the lack of support for our industry, but I do think eventually we will make changes that will bring this industry to a better place. I think that for historical 
businesses that have been here for, you know, a hundred years, like Katz's and Russ and Daughters, like there's not a way to, to create that right now. I, I don't think, you know, there's in the same way, but I do think that what has been really awesome is to see, you know, people's creativity and how, how if they, even if they don't, are not able to have a brick and mortar restaurant, or if they are, that they can bring some of their their roots and and their their Jewishness to their businesses. I think that it's some of them approach it in a more subtle way. Mm. Like there's a cafe in Brooklyn restaurant called Lighthouse, run by an amazing brother and sister. And again, they're I don't think that they would call themselves a Jewish restaurant necessarily, but they're bringing a lot of their influences growing up in Israel to their menu. Similarly, there's a chef that we just collaborated with, Mir Sarig. He operates under the name Eti, which is his mom's name. And he would do like a hala pop-up every week at a restaurant on the Lower East Side and, and it would sell out. I think there's like a chef like Inat Admoni, who has Balabusta and this, this falafel chain, Taim. So I think it's it's a different way of thinking about Jewish food and and what that is and and we've been like truly inspired by that. And I think there's a, a new younger group that is has emerged and is emerging. So you can come to New York and I'll take you on a food tour. Something like for example the Pickle Guys, they have now their own stand. They have their own night beautiful store like on Grand and Essex. So I mean pickles are something that many cultures from around the world make. So it's in no way uniquely Jewish. But that's what I would consider something that has is incorporating recipes that probably came from Eastern Europe from Jewish people. But again, I wouldn't call that a Jewish restaurant or I'm in a (laughs) Jewish food place. But it is. It's Jewish. Exactly. Exactly. What are the most challenging and also the most rewarding aspects of your job? And those can be the same or they can be different. Some of the challenges of my particular job at the moment just lie in being part of a nonprofit and thinking about that and how that informs our work that we are raising our own money. And that's, a part of, of what we have to do as, as our job. So I think that that can be challenging with everything else that we are trying to accomplish. I think the challenge is also that we have many big ideas and we want to always do a lot and to try to affect change as much as we can and to communicate with as many people as we can, grow our community, be there for as many people as we can. And, and, you know, we're just a small but growing team. So I think that that's just, you know, where our limitations lie. And, and sometimes we have to just face that head on. There's so many things that are rewarding about my job. The most rewarding part about my job is that I get to create something that in a way is tangible. And so many aspects of my job, I can have a beginning, middle and end. So for example, the podcast, we had these stories, we had an idea, we made it happen. And now I get to 
say to people, hey, just, you know, visit the Apple store or the podcast app, type in Schmaltzy, there we are. And so we started from an idea and we made something. And even smaller parts of my job, I view that way as well. Like when we create the visual content for our archive, we have an idea and I do a lot of the propping for how we want to present these dishes and we get to collaborate with other such creative people and we have an idea and then we get a photo. Of course, there's a lot more in between and planning events. You start with with an idea and then when you get to see that actualized, it, it's so satisfying. That I think is the most rewarding part of my job. For me personally, I mean, getting to carry out our mission is of course extremely rewarding, but for me personally, that's how I think about it. Just a tiny little follow-up. For those who don't know, now I know, but other people might not. What is schmaltz? So schmaltz is rendered chicken fat. You can get it in a number of different ways. You can get it from like kind of cooking down chicken skin, from gathering the fat that's underneath the skin. And in, in Jewish cooking, it was used a lot by people that kept kosher because if you want to cook, you know, a meat meal, you wouldn't want to use butter because that's dairy and you don't want to have dairy and meat at the same meal. So it was, I think, used because people didn't want to waste this glorious fat and they wanted to use everything that they could by necessity sometimes and then also to, you know, adhere to kosher law. It's really delicious. <laughs> I highly encourage you to try it if you can find it. Yeah. Vegetarian, unfortunately, no. it doesn't yeah. fall in your case. But at our live schmaltzy event, we make schmaltz popcorn. We pop the popcorn with a little bit of schmaltz. I've explored schmaltz makers across this New York City, and we have a good supply right now. Schmaltz popcorn actually sounds really good. For any listener out there, whether it's a current student, an alum, who would like to do what you're doing as far as a career, what advice or guidance would you give that person? One piece of guidance for sure is relationships. I cannot stress the importance of relationships and the time and energy that I feel is needed to cultivate these relationships. And that can be really at your level and your capacity, whether it's having an email check-in with someone once a month, whether it's having coffee with someone every week, whether it's asking someone to review something that you've written, whether it's having informational interviews. I say this and, you know, coming from a place of privilege and acknowledging this privilege that when I had graduated, I would often just reach out to people and say, can I show up at your event? Tell me what I can do. I will work for free. I did that many, 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 many times. And it often led to paid work. It led to expanding my network. It led to that person having a willingness to introduce me to other people. So 
that is one piece of advice and i i'm i'm happy to at some point expand if ever wanted you know about how i how i maintain these relationships and and how i try to give my time to to those that that ask for it my other advice really treat what you're doing with care and with intention and people will notice that come to whatever you know project or 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 networking or reaching out with really with positivity This episode of 2400 Chew was produced by Tammy Katzoff from the Muhlenberg College Career Center. It was recorded remotely and engineered in the studios of WMUH Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band. <laughs>